Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 248. And with us today is our senior executive producer, Dave Scrivener. Hello there. Hi, Dave. Writer, two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello, everyone. And over-the-edge reporter and the producer of these podcasts, Greg Carlos. Good to be here. Well, with this is a very, very special show because this is the show where we actually talk about our recently announced winners of our 2021 Motor Week Drivers' Choice Awards. If you've missed uh, the uh, actual ceremony, Usually we do it at the Chicago Auto Show every year, but of course this year, because the show was postponed, we did it virtually so you can catch it online, but we're gonna cover everything basically uh, that we talk about on that ceremony and a lot more today because we're gonna run down the list of the entire Driver's Choice Awards. And those of you that aren't that familiar, what makes our awards different than uh, a lot of other awards is we do pick winners in individual categories from best small car to best uh, full-size pickup truck, even dream machine, something you'd buy if you won the lottery. We go down the list and then we couple, double back and pick our best of the year. So with that, uh, we're gonna start at the smaller end and where we normally start these awards. And that is best small car for 2021 and the Driver's Choice Awards goes to the Mazda 3 for two years in a row. Now, why, folks, did we do, the, did we do that? Who would like to start off? I'll take a stab at that. I think it's just driving fun in the small car segment there. Everyone else seems to be economy focused. And, you know, we are driver's choice and we enjoy driving the Mazdas. They have that, uh, well, they still use the Zoom Zoom tagline. I think it's something different now, but I think it still fits. Yeah, it's always been super fun to drive, but they've gotten uh, last year and then this year, they keep upping their game as far as refinement. So it was always, they're fun to drive, but uh, now they've just gotten rid of the butts. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had a new 2.5 liter turbo engine uh, that basically uh, gives it a little bit more zoom, zoom, as Dave said. Greg, what do you think? Yeah, like, so, uh, we kind of sit in, well, we didn't sit in a room together this year, but we sat virtually and we yeah. sit and vote. Uh, this one got my vote um, for all the reasons they just said. I'm partial to Mazda. I've owned several of them. I have one right now. And they they just, they drive so well. And now that they now look as good as they drive inside and out. I mean, I looking at some of the other competitors, I think the Elantra got some votes from our staff mm -hmm. because it, I mean, that was also updated or not, you know, that was a total redesign, um, which it's a really nice car, but I think it speaks to just how well the Mazda drives that, that it, we were able to pick it again. I agree. Our best family sedan of the year. Uh, this year, it's the Kia K5. And this car is the cousin to the Hyundai Sonata that won the award last year. But really, the K5 is uh, not a clone, is it? Uh, I mean, it's got some real differences. Who wants to elaborate? I found the uh, curious that they would get rid of the Optima name and relaunch it as the K5. But, uh, you know, the more you learn, the making it more of a global thing, trying to bring some excitement into the segment, it somewhat makes sense. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to how it drives and the amount of comfort and the way it looks that I think uh, really made it a winner. Yeah, I, I agree on the looks. Um, as much as we, we like driving these cars, I also like looking at them. And they, they kind of took a step towards going more radical with styling. And I think that speaks to a little bit more to people of my generation, the millennials these days, uh, that they're taking chances with their design language. And, uh, you know, they, they, they keep making that, that midsize sedan is whatever they call it, Optima or K5 now. It's just it's a really solid car. Dave, yeah. anything to add? I just found it a little sportier to drive than the, um, the Hyundai Compadre, um, which I guess would be the Sonata. I just think the Optima is a little sportier tuned. 
or not the K5, I should say. Um, it's more fun to drive like the Mazda was. That kind of sways my vote most or most times. You know, uh, what we really didn't talk about was, you know, it for two cars to share so much, they really don't look or drive, of course, the same. But it was interesting that, you know, Sonata wanted last year K5, this year for Kia. And when they were introducing the Sonata, we all asked them, why aren't you putting all-wheel drive on the new Sonata? And they gave us, they basically said that the chassis wouldn't take it, which of course we now know is was not quite true because the K5 is available with all-wheel drive. And if you live anywhere on, oh, say from Virginia North or in the Midwest, uh, and probably even in the Northwest, uh, really all-wheel drive, people want it no matter what they're driving. And here, the uh, Kia K5's got it. So it's a nice extra addition. Really doesn't help the car drive any better, uh, except, of course, when you need it in bad weather. So Confidence is important, too. Hugely important, and safety. Best luxury sedan. On the um, segment we did for the show, we sort of basically start off by saying, you know, luxury means different things to different people. And in this case, the Acura TLX is somewhat of a different definition. It is not your traditional luxury car that's plush and gives you all sorts of uh, cocoon-like uh, environment. It's, uh, it's a, actually a lot different. The, we, uh, we talked about this recently on a podcast, and I think every one of us was blown away with what we saw from it because I think it, Brian had mentioned in the last podcast was that like the, the first TLX was kind of like a just like okay let's combine the the um, you know the uh, the TL and the um, god I'm already forgetting all the names the TSX and they were like let's, let's put it all to, to, to one thing and it was just like okay fine but this one seems to like stand alone and like okay this is a really nice effort from Acura to make this like their sports that are their uh, their luxury sports sedan because drives great uh they really killed the interior as in a good way they killed the interior um yeah, I can't say I'm, yeah <laughs> they yeah i mean there's some some things about it that not everybody loves like the touchpad but um i mean you can't please everybody but it's <laughs> pretty much the rest of the car was was pretty awesome yeah for me it's one of those cars where i'm not sure i could highlight one thing that it does better than everybody else. But as an entire package, man, it's just so, everything just works together so well. Everything fits together so well. It's just a joy to drive. Uh, great overall package. That's another one, all-wheel drive, right? Super handling, all-wheel drive. Yes, it's a, yeah. And it, you know, it's gone through, I think, several iterations and it keeps getting better every time they bring it out. And it really does help you uh, in handling. Mm -hmm. Plus they'll have the Type S eventually. Dave, anything? Um, no, I, I agree kind of with Brian. What he was saying, I think the um, the driving dynamics of this car uh, appeal to me. It's not quite as stodgy as some of the traditional lu pure luxury cars. I like a little more the dynamic of it, how cool it is to drive, and the interior. They killed it with that, like Greg said. So I concur. <laughs> You know, it's funny when you hear us talking about the Acura TLX, what is in my memory is it seems like this was the kind of way we looked at the BMW 3 Series when it started to become more of a luxury, as much of a luxury vehicle as a sports sedan. Mm. It's like it's, it, it wraps you in luxury, you know, a traditional definition to a point, but it's more or less than that you know, again, it's the total package. And really, if any brand manages to make the sum greater than the parts, it's got to be uh, Acura. And, and for that matter, the whole Honda. Uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, this is a, a tough category too, because I mean, you're going up against A4, S4, uh, you know, BMW, Mercedes, all the best from those Germans. And the fact that the TLX won, I mean, that's, that's big for Acura. I think so too. Best sports sedans, since we were talking about that. And I think this winner will surprise an awful lot of people. 
Uh, maybe not because it has the AMG name in it, but Mercedes AMG CLA 5. Now, a lot of folks are probably not familiar with what the CLA even is. Who would kind of like to give us a, a little synopsis and why it's so unusual that we would pick this for a winner? Come well, on, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> you're, you're the you're the you're the uh, the the, uh, the wealth of, of, of knowledge about the vehicles. fact that it's got AMG badge on it shouldn't make it um, you know beyond belief that we would give it a best sports sedan award. Um, the I guess the uh, newsworthy item comes in that it's their entry level model. Uh, they've never had one this cheap before, and uh, or this good for the price before. Uh, yeah. Absolutely that. I mean, it's just it's a great little sports sedan, and it feels small, nimble, but it's got a heck of an engine in it, like everything else from uh, Yeah, and it's not built to a price point. You know, it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like you're lacking anything, even entry level car like that. It's it's got all the equipment you need and, and all the comfort and the amenities you're used to in a Mercedes. But man, does it go! <laughs> We just did a first look on the um, the upcoming EQA, and I had made a comment about how Mercedes does entry level really well. Like they don't really hold much back when when you're talking about an entry level car. I, th I think they probably best BMW there. If you get into a a base BMW, uh, you you're pretty aware that you're not getting the full features that you would get in the upper level right. trims, but not necessarily with Mercedes. That wasn't always the case. Yeah. When the first ML came out, it's like, ooh. Yeah, but they, they turned that around and really focused on wooing the entry-level buyers, which I think is smart on their part. I think you're and absolutely right, Dave. If you even go back to their, you know, smaller cars when they first started doing, um, oh, gosh, I don't remember how many years ago now. But the we 190E. Yeah. You know, <laughs> We were, yeah, that's that's a, a perfect example. We we loved the effort, but you got in it, and you thought, mm. okay, <laughs> is this a Mercedes taxi cab or what? Right, yeah, you don't feel that way anymore. Uh, the Mercedes AMG CLA 35, one of our best sports sedan award. Uh, splitting hairs a little bit, our best sport coupe, uh, and this is a two-time winner. And I, of all this list, I I have to probably think this is one of the biggest favorites uh you know for two years running but just in general just if you had the money and you wanted to go buy something fun to drive maybe an awful lot of people on the staff would do it toyota gr supra why have we or do we love it so much and why did we pick it as best sport coupe for a second year with so many other able uh, rivals out there and you get the best of both worlds with Toyota and BMW in the same package, right? True. <laughs> you know, the, the Toyota, the Supra is obviously the, the iconic name these days, very hot with the younger crowd. Uh, people long for our retro reviews of the old ones, and the uh, the car just drives. It's, it's, it's so tossable on the track, and I like the styling better than BMW's version of that chassis even though the BMW lends a lot to Toyota with this. So, you mean the again, convertible Supra called the Z4? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, that see it, I see it referred to that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the original last year was nice enough, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't wow me. But then this one, a few more horsepower doesn't seem like it'd make a big deal. But to me, the car just felt so much faster. I, it's hard to even explain it, but it's it went from being uh, – really good to just great uh just with uh some chassis tuning and a few more horsepower totally they, you, they automakers know how to win us over just throw some more horsepower and it. it was really the horsepower it should have gotten at the beginning but i guess they gave more to the z4 uh at the first year of production for the supra and then second year we got the the full effect of the engine uh but they also offer a a, a four-cylinder engine option too so you can either have the four or the six, yeah, for the Supra. And and it's it's a whole lot more affordable. So if you live basically in a you know a situation where you can't really open it up, or you just want to look great, and you're not as concerned about uh, all the capabilities, it's pretty impressive. And it's it's a stout little four cylinder. I mean, it's not, nothing yeah. to sneeze at. So. But two years running, Toyota Supra GR Supra. Um, 
we do split our performance cars up a little bit. Our, we have a category best performance car and they're totally different, but just as desirable, perhaps more desirable uh, a vehicle. And it's really not one vehicle, it's a whole line. And that's the Porsche 718. And when you take a look at what is the essence of Porsche and their sports car heritage, to a lot of us, or especially, or certainly to me, what we used to say about the, the 911, we now say about the 718. But why don't you guys take it from there? I think the whole calling card for this car, uh, came in Boxster, is balance. It's, mm -hmm. just, it's, it's so dynamically balanced and so easy to drive well and, and fast. It makes a hero out of, of ordinary drivers. And, right. and it's just so tactile and delightful to drive i just can't top it i'd buy it over a 911 would you well even if they were the same price so not just for the money just yeah. a little more nimble and balanced i think and approachable yeah great feedback and just enjoyable to drive and i'll uh yield the rest of my time to the gentleman from frederick who had uh some really great comments about it particularly the gt4 and if he doesn't remember them oh. i'll i'll uh, quote him on, Hold on let me go through my notes real quick. I, have to, I have to find them yeah that uh yeah i think my comment you might be speaking of is that after driving the gt4 i thought that all turbo engines should be outlawed because this <laughs> just it it revs like a yep. maniac it sounds phenomenal um but i i think and not everybody gets this chance. And, and if you ever do get the chance, you absolutely should take advantage. But to drive a 911 versus a Cayman or a 718, um, because when you when you hear mid-engine and rear-engine, a lot of people probably are thinking the same thing, but they, they behave very differently. They're, they're, I mean, the, the, uh, the 911 is bigger, but it has a rear-mounted engine as opposed to the 718, which is right there in the middle. I mean, the, the balance that Dave was talking about, it's just, it's incredible. And it's always like, it you know what it's gonna do before it does it. And you can always catch it or you can always make it do what you want. I mean, it, it, being able to have that engine right there in the middle makes a huge difference. And you had it on track as well, right, Greg? I did, yeah, I drove. I, I drove on the track probably two years ago in the pouring rain and it was still just as stable as can be. Yep. Would you say it? You know, it would it be a stretch to say it's either the best or one of the best by, you know, I mean, it's certainly at the top of mid-engine handling cars that we've ever driven. I mean, one of the best oh, yeah. handling mid-engine cars we've ever by, by Easily, yeah. yeah. 718 Porsche, best performance car. You're listening to our Motorway 2021 Driver's Choice Awards, and we're now going to transition from cars to Trucks and utilities. Best small utility is our first category and with it, a new winner. Uh, hasn't been even considered before because frankly, it didn't exist before. The Ford Bronco Sport. Now this is the car-based, if you will, uh, smaller Bronco. This is not the truck-based uh, descendant of the original Bronco that'll be out later this summer, but still, Looks like a pretty darn impressive vehicle, both on spec sheets and uh, in, uh, when you take a look at it. So uh, why did we pick the Bronco Sport? This was an easy vote for um, me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. Well, you drove uh, it. Yeah, I, I drove it. I was probably one of the first in the country to drive it. Um, back when we were able to fly a little bit, we've since been in, unable to do that. Um, but it, so it's a state-based. Yeah. So it is escape based. Um, it's not, you know, a body on frame SUV. Uh, but even though it is, it's smaller, it's probably smaller than you think it is, even if you've seen it a million times. Uh, but it, it works with what space it has really well. It's got great headroom uh, up front feels big. Uh, it's all about the utility and the fact that you can take it off road and I mean, really do some some serious stuff off road. I'm talking like Jeep levels of off-roading um it's real jeep it's solid yeah yeah real jeep levels not the faux jeeps it reminds yeah. me of the xj as far as the whole layout I and mean, it's a little bit smaller but still that that kind of boxy but extremely uh, uh, capable 
Brian, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, you didn't cut me off. Um, as much as I hate the like gimmicky uh, goes over any terrain type <laughs> thing, all the Goat. Easter eggs and all that stuff, I mean, it's a legit small truck, even though it's not a truck, it's still a legit small SUV that uh, I would love, I would love to own. You, you wrote a really interesting line in uh, the, the segment. Uh, you said basically where the world is full of uh, crossovers that have uh, more cladding than ground clearance, but the Bronco Sport is certainly not one of those. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I stole that from someone else. <laughs> it was a good line. <laughs> I like saying it. All right, Ford Bronco Sport, our best small utility. Our best midsize utility, we usually try and pick something that is a little more affordable than uh, this winter, but really it was, I think it was unanimous vote. The Land Rover Defender, best midsize utility, descendant of that original uh, almost farm implement that the Land Rover folks came up with after uh, World War II, but totally different, but yet, you can see the lineage. So why did we pick it? Well, you can feel the lineage too. It's, it's you know, off-road, it's the line from the road test. I guess it was Brian's as well. It's, it's like a jag on the freeway when you're yeah. driving off-road. It sucks at the bumps so well. I, I spent a, a phenomenal day with it, driving through the slop at the, our off-roading farm, getting our shots of it. And I, I get a primate out of it in the, the day. It was just great fun. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of came in right at the end, like late 90s, mid to late 90s, right at the end of uh, the Defender original uh, uh, go here in the U.S. And uh, we had that red Defender 90 in. And uh, man, I was a young motor weaker enjoying life, man, in that Defender 90. <laughs> I love that. I love that vehicle so much. So, like, I just wanted to hate this new one uh, being too much, you know, like a you know Range Rover version of that. But um, mm -hmm. it's, it's still a legit off-road vehicle that looks cool and very luxurious as well. From then, you worked but your way given up. itself over. Go ahead. I was going to say, Brian worked his way up from a young pup to now he literally writes everything we all say. Like, everything we've said so far, we're like, oh, well, Brian wrote it. <laughs> Brian wrote that. Let's give Brian credit where credit is due. <laughs> he does all the work around here. The, uh, just playing <laughs> I have to say the first time that I saw the new Defender and, you know, I, I'm old enough that I take everything back to the original Land Rover. And, uh, and even if you go back just to, as Brian mentioned, when the Defender uh, model started, you look at it and say, it really doesn't look anything like it. You know, it's, the seats look like they're actually comfortable, you know, and, and all of this. But when you drive it, I was shocked at how different it feels from other modern Land Rovers, you know, and it, it was kind of hard to put your finger on it, maybe a little rougher around the edges, but also even more capable than probably the most, some, you know, easily the most capable lineup of utilities in the world. And, um, I, you know, I, it's one of those vehicles that, you stand back and think, how did they do that? Mm -hmm. uh, and they, uh, I remember they actually had to devise new testing procedures because the testing procedures they were using weren't tough enough mm -hmm. uh, to find out what this uh, Defender could do. So uh, Land Rover Defender, best midsize utility. Best large utility. Maybe this is no surprise to everybody. We tend to end up giving this to the whoever's new in any year because they keep, after so many years where no, there was very little competition in this realm, uh, every year there seems to be a new one. But the um, ones that kind of started this category are back. The all-new Chevrolet Tahoe and Suburban. Uh, you know, they basically had a tall order. They had to go out and kind of beat the Ford uh, Expedition when it came to interior room and amenities. And basically, I think they did it. Uh, it is a incredibly nice yet useful vehicle, uh, more efficient than it was before. Um, I'm not sure it looks better than it did before, but it's all it's a big box that does a lot of things extremely well. And if you've got to tow a lot and carry a lot of family and all their stuff, 
Mm. It's kind of blew away everybody else in the in the category. That was my take on it. How about yours? Yeah. Well, I was saving my pennies up. I've owned um, a Suburban and a Yukon Denali over the years. I, I, I like to look to this one. <laughs> so it might be a year or two before I can get into one, but um, I've enjoyed driving the ones we've had. It just it's a great smooth driving package, and you know it's still. I want to say agile for a big truck, but it doesn't feel cumbersome at least. Yeah. IRS? Yeah, just to piggyback on that, that was the big deal. Went to the rear independent suspension for the first time, which does improve ride, yes, but more importantly, uh, interior packaging was a huge uh, gain in space for that third row and cargo as well. Mm. It, the um, Hyundai Palisade and Kia Telluride, those two kind of sister SUVs won it last year. So it's kind of funny to see, you know, the original coming back and saying like, you know, oh, wait a minute, you know, I'm still yeah. the best in this category. So because I guess we, we still, <laughs> we still could have given it to them because they were still el eligible to win. But I think it was an, an obvious choice during our voting that Tahoe and Suburban were taking it back. This is tr truly full size too, not the almost pretty close to full size. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess about the only thing you can really buy for a reasonable price and, you know, so-called light duty it's got more space on the insides of minivan. So, yeah, that horrible word. And that won't <laughs> have the <laughs> yeah. yeah. Best luxury utility. Uh, another Mercedes Benz in our list. This is the GLE. This is the second year that the GLE lineup has won. Uh, but in a way, it's not quite the same vehicle that won it this time. Who would like to expound on that? Let's just go right to Robinson. What'd you write this <laughs> Might time? Might as well. <laughs> What'd you write this time? Uh, uh, someone else, please. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's a category where there's just ton of tons of new vehicles constantly, and luxury SUVs, and all shapes and sizes coming at us almost monthly. But um, again, back to that total package, the GLE, uh, it just has it all: the luxury, the comfort, uh, the horsepower. Um, the uh, the other vehicle you're referencing is the coupe version, uh, which European um, makers love to uh, oh, yeah. put new roofs and shorten the wheelbase on vehicles and then call them coupes. Call them coupes. Yep. Basically, less practical version, but much more stylish, but uh, also more performance, uh, which was uh, also fun to see. I prefer more of the utility of the GLE and not the GLE coupe because you, you kind of do lose some some space there. Um, but of all the SUV coupes, I think I do like the way the GLE coupe looks over all the other ones. And then just interior comfort, the same things we were saying about the uh, CLA. I mean, it's just yeah. the interiors are beautiful with that massive screen. It's just comfortable. Um, it's, it's, again, one of those... Uh, twice in a row winners that it was just easy to make that call sure was yep so best luxury utility mercedes benz gle two years running one of the thing about the things about our driver's choice awards is uh they are uh, fluid uh they they're <laughs> they live they change as the industry changes uh, and this year, we actually added a new category. Uh, this was in response to an awful lot of our viewers that said, why in the world, when it comes to pickup trucks being so popular, don't you have an award for something less than full size? So we've um, instituted our best midsize truck award, but uh, may disappoint a few people because what we picked as our winner Eh, maybe it's a truck and maybe it's basically a, um, a car-like vehicle with a big open back, but the Honda Ridgeline. And uh, there's, we had good reasons for picking it, as you're about to hear from our gallery. Yeah. Take it I'll away. just jump right in so we don't have the awkward silence. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll well, be that's, that's tape delay, folks. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the amount of complaints for uh, us giving it this award uh, is larger than the amount of complaints for not having the award last year. But um, yeah, say what you want. Uh, it does truck-like things with more comfort and uh, more features than anybody else. Yeah. Well, don't you own one, Brian? <laughs> uh, theoretically, my wife does, but she does let me uh, drive it to Lowe's. <laughs> Occasionally. 
Do you I think ever, it's every bit of truck, yeah. Do you ever miss, Brian, having something bigger? Um, not for my needs. I mean, it tows 5,000 pounds. Uh, that's what I need. I can get um, sheets of plywood in the back, no problem. So uh, mm -hmm. does everything I needed to do. Perfect, yeah. Greg? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to share the same comment about the fact that we have so many people complaining that we don't do the category and now they're going to be complaining the other way around uh we're you know we're just not going to make everybody happy i think this like this is truly what we feel on this one i don't you know we we don't really give in to pressure of outside forces on these votes and i think the jeep would have been the easy pick the, the gladiator uh to just appease everybody yeah but until just, you drive it <laughs> right not none of us really enjoyed driving it as much as we like the ridgeline i mean it if if you spec it right and you spend a lot of money you can make it look pretty cool and you got a nice jeep pickup truck but just a lot of money and just i in my opinion you don't get enough for it but i'm um, admittedly i'm not a jeep person i like the clever engineering that they put into it that is aimed at the consumer I'm a big proponent of two-way tailgates on pickup trucks. It's got one. And the underfloor storage in the back, which I have to admit, when the first Ridgeline came out, I sort of said, why do you need that? Well, boy, if, if, if you've got anything small that won't, you don't want to put in the cabin, and I don't mean so small, but like, you know, a, a tent or something like that, that you would put in the back that you don't want to have exposed so somebody could lift it out of the, uh, the open rear box, that underfloor storage is fabulous. And of course it can double as a big cooler with a drain on it. And it's like, who, who else? Nobody else has thought of something like that short of the saddlebags on the big Rams. And it's just uh, really smart engineering focused at the personal use buyer. Uh, so um, there you go. Best midsize pickup truck. Uh, not quite your definition of a, a traditional truck, but does everything you need to do. Uh, the Hunter Ridgeline. As uh, again, Brian Scripps said, you know, it, uh, they didn't focus on uh, off-road parks, but they just made sure they built something that keeps winning awards and pleases buyers. So I think that sums it up. We're going to um, now the best full-size truck award. And um, gee whiz, big surprise, folks. It's the all-new Ford F-150. But why, besides the fact it's the most popular vehicle in the country, why did it deserve this award this year? I think the uh, all new uh, version of it, I think Ford knows what people want and they keep giving it to them exactly what they want. Plus new extras, like the onboard generator. When I first heard about that, yeah. I mean, that just blew my mind. Me too. Why, why, why hasn't this been happened already? And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a great truck all around. A lot of cool features you never would have thought you needed until you uh, drive a truck with one and then you have trouble figuring out how you could live without them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in it this weekend. Uh, I actually did some work in it. Uh, you know, I didn't deliver the lumber. I was working on a friend's uh, deck. Uh, I didn't actually use it for that purpose. But if I did, I would have been able to measure things on the tailgate with the built-in ruler. Cool. Um, I would have been driving in comfort to go get the lumper uh, because it was, uh, yeah, really comfortable inside, quiet. Um, it's, they have like a million different engine choices. Uh, you all get the 10-speed transmission, uh, you know, regardless of which engine you do go with. So, yeah, like Robinson said, they just kind of, they know what people want and they're just like, here you go, have it. Yeah, number one for a reason in sales. <laughs> the um, The hybrid version with the, uh, the, the largest um, generator, was it 7,000 uh, watts, whatever, 7,500. You know, most people, even though you're not supposed to, and we're not advocating it, you just think about the emergency situations without power that that vehicle is going to help you be able to get through and how important that's going to be in natural disasters. You know, if you basically have a tornado come through or a hurricane and you happen to have a town that's got couple of thousand of these F-150s around, all the, uh, the work lights and emergency stuff they'll be able to run. I will be shocked if every other full-size truck manufacturer doesn't rush development of something comparable because 
as you said, uh, Greg, why didn't somebody think of that before? And uh, go ahead, uh, Brian. Yeah, I was just going to say, I can't wait till next year's uh, vote just to hear the Raptor versus TRX. Uh, oh, boy. I can't yeah. wait for that. Spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert. I will say one thing about the F-150 that I think escapes people. Ford's always kind of gotten, I wouldn't say a bad rap, but a, people say, yeah, it rides like a truck. But what, you, what they've done with that, especially going to the all-aluminum body, is that they've improved their handling immensely and, and no longer handles like a traditional pickup truck. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think you have to be a little careful of yourself in traffic not to, uh, you know, start driving like a cone cutter. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty impressive, pretty impressive. We always have a category that sums up what you would do if you basically got lucky and won the Powerball, our best dream machines. <clears throat> and we picked three and we're not gonna spend a lot of time on any one of them, <clears throat> but let's go through them quickly, excuse me. <clears throat> our best uh, dream machines, uh, like I said, we pick three. Sometimes they're cars, sometimes they're uh, luxury SUVs. Starting off with a genuine car, the Bentley Flying Spur. And uh, take it away. Why did that stand out among all the other high buck and high roller stuff that we tested this year? For a car to have that much performance and be that luxurious, it just doesn't seem possible. It's basically a custom made suit version of the Porsche Panamera. Yeah. And you won't see yourself in every street corner driving through downtown Annapolis or Baltimore. You'll see 20 Panameras and they're great, but it looks exclusivity and just the wow factor. And that, you know, it just, I, I like the timelessness of it. I'm an old car guy. So I'm an old car guy <laughs> and I, it just does it all well for me. It's a car I would be as happy driving as being driven in. I mean, it's just, it's lit, it's a work of art inside. And then the, the Panamera chassis just puts it over the top. Our second pick is really a collaborative uh, work of art. And one I don't think any of us a couple of years ago quite expected. Yeah, we know all the luxury brands were gonna have to bring out a, an SUV at some point, but I think still the Aston Martin DBX surprised everybody. Another beautiful, beautiful Aston. Um, they did team up with on the the engine, right? The um, they're using the Mercedes engine. Um, yeah, and, you know, why not? If you, yeah, if, you know, yeah, not just any Mercedes engine, AMG engine. Correct. Um, yeah, again, just a ton of performance, a lot of luxury, and it's gorgeous. And the name alone is enough for me. <laughs> And our third driver's choice, uh, Dream Machine, I, I guess you could honestly say we've never met a Porsche 911 Turbo we didn't love. And here's another one. There you go. The ultimate, you know, street and track machine. Uh, it's just daily driver comfort, comfortable and just goes like a rocket from a dig. Really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, after all the great things we're saying about the 718, um, and as awesome as it is, when you get in this thing and just hit the throttle, I mean, it's really mind-blowing. Yeah, well, there's different levels of Porsche performance for sure. <laughs> Our last uh, individual category is uh, best eco-friendly, and over the years, we've given it to electric cars, to diesel-powered vehicles, to hybrids, all sorts of stuff. And this year it goes to a very controversial EV, uh, which I think we all sort of stood back and said, what, when we first heard about it? But after we've driven it, we've said, why not? And that's the Ford Mustang Mach-E. You know, 300 miles of range, some Mustang heritage in the styling cues, but more so in the performance. I guess what I'd like to hear from everybody is, can you sum up your first, the first time you drove it, you know, was there something that reached out and grabbed you? I mean, I will admit it did me, but how about you? Uh, I would like to hear yours first. 
Well, I had, I mean, I had a chance to ride in, as Dave did, uh, a Mustang Mach-E in, in, in Chicago and a couple other places. And, you know, it was interesting. It had, you know, push button door openings and you got in it and it was a pleasing shape. I was pretty put off by bringing the Mustang heritage into it because I love Mustangs. And you're curious. Um, well, I realized, you know, Porsche did it, obviously, and it was very successful. We hear, keep hearing rumors that, you know, Corvette's going to do it. We just talked about Aston Martin. So, you know, it's not that it was an unusual thing, but there's very few names as hallowed as the Mustang. Well, when we finally got a chance to actually drive it and not be driven around in it, I was just astounded. I mean, yeah, it's fast. All EVs are fast, but it's fast and it sounds fast. And it's fake, okay, but it's appropriate. <laughs> but then it came down to the handling. I thought the car just handled amazing for any kind of vehicle. Uh, it stopped very well. The center of gravity is obviously very low, but they've, they've not stopped it at just taking the physics. They've tuned it to where, yes, it felt like you could be in a Mustang and then they added this, you know, styling cues to go along with it. It exceeded my expectations in every category and it hits that 300 mile mark. Uh, and it, I should say it's also got an all wheel drive, which makes it a true utility. So yeah, every box checked off for me and I was sh shocked how much I liked it. I guess that's a yeah. good way to say it. I was impressed by the utility of it. It has plenty of, um, usable space, um, leg room enough for me. I'm a tall guy. The trunk was usable, the trunk area was usable, but also it didn't drive like a, a big SUV. It, it, it drove, I won't say Mustang-ish, but you know, more more sporty than I'm used to in in EVs. It's not just a commuter car, it's it's an enjoyable mm -hmm. car to drive. It's, it's nimble and, and supple on the bumps and it just does it all as well as can be done. Yeah, and uh, all of that and more. Uh, the big thing to remember, though, is this is kind of just the base car. This is equivalent to an EcoBoost four-cylinder Mustang, the GT. is not coming out till this summer, mm -hmm. which is going to ratchet up performance, uh, not just a little bit. So I can't wait for that. So, yeah, more to look forward to. Greg, you were a doubter at the beginning. Yeah, and uh, it didn't take long for me to be um, hitching my wagon to the Mach-E train. Uh, you know, I, I I love Mustangs as much as the next guy. Um, I just, I didn't have as much of an investment when people were, you know, clamoring about the name. Uh, you know, it, it didn't really affect me that much. But I didn't think they were going to make a this good of an all-electric SUV this quickly. You, you, you hop in there and you're like, okay, well, it accelerates quickly. That's cool. But the steering's not probably going to be good. Well, the steering feels great. Okay. Well, the braking's probably going to be odd because of regenerative braking. No, the, the braking's good too. It's like everything about it was so much better than I anticipated. And I went in thinking there's got to be something that I can pick out. And it just, it just wasn't that way. And I, I really enjoyed, I'd spent even more time in it a few weeks ago and around my, my home area. And it was just everything I needed being able to put a child seat in the back, even though you have that sloping roof line. So it looks great on the outside. It's functional on the inside. Just, it's awesome. You know, if, if the Mach-E is the future, maybe it's not going to be quite so um, uh, devoid of automotive enthusiasm as uh, some of us, I think we're afraid. Uh, yeah, thank might, goodness, huh? Yeah. Okay. This makes an easy segue into our one award that where we look at all the individual winners and we pick our best of the year. And those of you that may have caught the online presentation know that that is indeed what we did with the Ford Mustang Mach-E MotorWeek's 2021 Driver's Choice Best of the Year. So we've been giving it all these praises. Any of that? Anybody got anything else to add? I mean, we've covered the I waterfront think, pretty well. I think we said it. <laughs> I think it's fair to say no vehicle impressed us as much this year as the Mach-E, especially starting from, you know, maybe low expectations is a better way to put it. I think mm -hmm. we were all prepared to say, I told you so, 
and it just pretty much blew us away. Right. It, it kind of shut up the doubters and the naysayers. Yeah. And we spent, oh, what, five, six minutes talking about it without once mentioning the ginormous uh, touchpad control panel uh, right in the middle of the dash. So they must have done that right as well. Greg. You know, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think um, that was, I did actually mean to, to talk about that because they, they, I don't think they went outside of themselves trying to, to be like a Tesla. They, they knew they had to make it look modern because it is an EV, but I think they had to keep it functional and easy to use, which is exactly what they did. So it is cool to see that big of a screen. Um, but you know, and this is no knock to Tesla. I just think it's easier to use as somebody who might not be like tech savvy. Everything's big. It's easy to see. Um, you do control everything through it, but it's just, it's just easy to navigate. Yeah. I wasn't put off by it at all. What's the one thing it's got on that volume knob. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how important that is to automotive riders. There there you go, people. That's the reason why we pick the best cars of the year. (laughs) They have It's my vote. So that's our list of our motory driver's choice winners for 2021. If you want to see the complete list and uh, take a look at the segments, if you've missed it on the show itself, uh, go over to our um, motorweek.org website, and uh, you'll also find the segments on our YouTube channel, motorweek, um, youtube.com slash motorweek. And it's streamed, of course, on uh, PBS Living over at uh, Prime Video at Amazon. So anyway, uh, that's a good rundown. But we don't want to close out this podcast without uh, a couple of our our normal uh, segments. Uh, We have a viewer question. And this is from John Boyd. And that's not me. In a hurry one morning, John Boyd says he picked E85 to fill up his car instead of premium grade. He said he was very low on gas. He wondered if he should siphon it out of his tank or, and start fresh again or what. He's probably already done whatever he's going to do by now. But if someone right. else makes that mistake, what do you think they ought to do? Uh, I, uh, one tank of it won't kill your car. I would, I would keep diluting it with regular gas as you burn through it. Um, experts say you know, one, a one-time mistake isn't fatal. It's not gonna, you, know, you might get a check engine light that will go off as the fuel mix regulates back to normal. But I'd say top it off every day until you get it back to the right mixture of E10. It's not worth getting a mouth full of E85. Now, if it was premium, <laughs> I'd say go ahead and siphon it out. But, you know, E85, <laughs> you don't want that. That <laughs> new. Yeah, as long as it wasn't a diesel, then he's all right. All right, move. let's move on to our last thing we will always talk about. We'll wrap things up. Anybody got any rant and raves? I think we've been raving quite a bit today. I do have, I've had one that's kind of built up for a while, and um, we, we kind of jump on bad drivers. But I, I think I just I, – I don't want to get on it too much about, like, driving habits of individuals. But what I will say is if you're, like, a traffic weaver or somebody who likes to just get where they're going fast and at all costs cut people off, whatever, I'm not going to tell you you can't do that. I'm not the person to police that. But what I will say is if you do do that stuff and maybe you get caught behind a truck and you can't cut somebody off or you can't get into the spot you want to, I would say you should waive your right at feeling indignant because you kind of get away with a lot of stuff and you're, you're, you're lucky in some instances that people all like other people are paying attention. There's a reason, not just because you're a great driver that you haven't gotten into an accident. It's because other people see what you're doing and are just like, okay, I'm just not going to engage. So, you know, that's what I'll say. If, if that's your style of driving, whatever, just don't get upset when somebody catches you or it doesn't work out in your favor. I'm sorry. I think they're jerks. I really do. I think they're, they're, they're unsafe. They're uncaring about anybody else on the road but them. And uh, I have very little use for them. But your last piece of advice is the best. Do not get goaded into engaging with them. Don't try to play their game. Don't try to close up their escape route because, brother, you'd rather have them in front of you than behind you, for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, there's just right now, there seems to be a higher incidence 
of these uh, folks that drive like that reported simply because there's a little bit less traffic on the road because everybody's staying home. So yeah. I, and if, if you do drive like that, don't equate it with driving skill, because I can assure you I've driven with some really good drivers who don't do that. So it, I don't think it's because you're a good driver that you've gotten away with it. It's mostly luck. Yeah, real you're quick. And you're selfish. Correct. Brian, did you want to jump in? Uh, I don't really have anything to add to this conversation. Uh, he drives a Ridgeline. He would never do that. I'm pretty, I pretty say what I always say. As long as you're paying attention to what you're doing, and you don't have, you're not looking at your phone while you're trying to drive. Uh, have at it, man. Whatever, whatever you want to do. As the old man uh, on the staff, I want to tell you a story. Uh, the first press event I ever went to for Motor Week, uh, like all many of them, they paired me up with somebody else, and we went out driving. It was, maybe it wasn't the first event, but it was in the first year we were on the air. And uh, the person I was with was extremely accomplished, a very good driver, had been at it for a long time. And when it came my turn to drive, we were up somewhere in the mountains in California, and I was taking the curves and probably trying to show off a bit. And I was kind of all over the road. I was over the, the middle of the lines. I wasn't in the wrong lane, but I was cutting the lanes, uh, cutting the corners pretty uh, sharply. And he said, you know something? He said, the only way to ever test a car when you're on these kind of roads is to actually stay in your lane and see how it performs. That'll give you a true measure. Uh, and this basically trying to show you're, you're a hot rodder and you can get through a, a corner faster than anybody else. You might make it, but it doesn't tell you anything about the car. And it's something that we, as we road test cars, have to remember, you know, these cars are uh, should perform well under normal circumstances and normal extremes. So anyway, not sure if that enlightens anybody. Well put. But, uh, that's where we're coming from here. Okay, I want to thank uh, Dave, Greg, and Brian for uh, being this, uh, and for all of you out there for being sticking with us for a little bit longer than usual podcast, number 248. Back at home base, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, makes sure the podcasts go out and sound well. Greg, thanks for producing it. Bob Mixer, our podcast creator. Until next time, be sure to catch Motor Week on your local public television stations or over at our partner, Discoveries of Motor Trend Cable Channel. We mentioned our YouTube channel, our website, all the folks at PBS that uh, make us possible around the country. But just remember, wherever there's a screen, you can catch Motor Week and join us again for our next podcast. And we want to thank you all for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.